Right on. Okay, so we're in John chapter 9. Going get, to get back into our series here in John. And uh, yeah, let's pray this morning as we come to God's word. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to spend time with each other, spend time with you, Lord, and uh, to be in the word of God. And as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we come... Um, I just got that picture in my head, Lord, of uh, Mary sitting at your feet, Lord. That's a, a, a position of humility. And Lord, that's how we come. We're not, we're not the authority over the word of God. Uh, your word takes authority over us. And our, lines to, our lives are to come in line with it. And so, Lord, that's, that's our desire. We come before you humbly this morning. Just ask you to speak to us. Pray that your spirit would open our eyes uh, to see you, Lord, that you'd open the eyes and the ears of our heart. That's an amazing thing that your word actually speaks of that, that the, that the heart has eyes and ears. And Lord, we want to we see you. We want to hear you, Lord. We want to draw near to you. And so would you speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. So John chapter 9. And um, yeah, as we come to this, let me just kind of remind you a little bit where John's, John's had us in his gospel, he's just told us the account of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and then the ensuing you know, teaching of Jesus that took place uh, on the Temple Mount. And Jesus clearly claimed to be God. They out and out asked him at the end of chapter 8. And he uh, used those fam- this famous words, I am clearly stating that he was God and incensed by that claim, the Jews picked up stones, the end of John chapter 8 tells us, uh, to throw at Jesus, but he hid himself and he went out of the temple. And it's interesting because it's as he's leaving, you get the sense it's like, I mean, picture this, he's not much further than a stone's throw away. How far can you pitch a stone? He's not much further than that away and he has an encounter with this man whose life is going to be changed by meeting Jesus. And so verse 1 tells us, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, we know Jesus, I mean, we're about to get into this. We know Jesus is about to heal this man. And it's amazing to me because I don't think there's anybody in the history of the world who got in so much trouble for doing good things. Like that was Jesus. Um, Seems like the bulk of ti- the bulk of the time that he stepped into a situation and he helped someone, he ticked someone else off. He made someone else upset, and this occasion's no different. He's giving. He's going to give sight to a man who's been born blind. Now that's amazing, right? Like think about this fellow born blind. <coughs> he hasn't ever seen the ocean. He hasn't observed the beauty of God's creation, the trees, um, the flowers. He's never uh, seen the sunset before. He's never seen people. He's never had the opportunity to lie in the grass and look up at the sky and observe the clouds moving through the sky. He's never seen any of that. He's been born, he was born blind. And so, you know, when you think about someone in that situation and just the trans forming power of Jesus healing them and how it would completely radically change their lives, you would, you would think that at the forefront of this whole conversation and everything that happens in this chapter would be the miracle. But that's not what's going to be at 
at the forefront. What's going to be at the forefront? The miracle is going to be drowned out, actually, by the conflict that is about to happen and the controversy that ensued because Jesus healed this man. And so healing a man born blind, this is a, a miracle that's unique. It's, it's unique in all of the gospel accounts, actually, because this person is a, is, is a man who has a congenital blindness. It's not that he had become blind and lost his sight. He had always been blind. He, had been, he was born that way. And so this is, this is unique. Think about that. I mean, I, I, I just have in my mind, you know, I have more of an ability to understand someone being healed, someone who's lost their eyesight. Something happened, an accident or something happened. They lost their eyesight and then it's healed. But to think of someone born blind and transformed by the power of Jesus, it's awesome. But before it happens, the disciples ask, verse 2, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So before Jesus has done anything, the disciples see this man, they see this blind man, and they ask this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now it's interesting, here they they see this guy, and, and this question is raised in their hearts and in their minds about the suffering of this individual and what the source of the suffering is. And it's a common question that people ask, right? Like, I mean, how many times have you maybe asked or been in a conversation, a Bible study, or heard this topic spoken of in a church where where it's like, why does God allow suffering? Where did this suffering come from? And we've all asked that. Maybe we've gone through suffering or maybe we've watched someone else go through suffering and we've asked the Lord, Lord, why did you allow this to happen? Why did this suffering take place? I can handle crying babies, especially new ones, so you don't got to worry about that little one, okay? All good. What a great sound, actually. Love it. So here's the disciples. They see this man, and this question comes up for them. Why, does, why is there suffering? Who sinned, this man or his parents? And Here's the, here's the disciples, they're asking this intellectual, philosophical question, what causes suffering, why does it happen, and, and often it's, you know, it's interesting because often it's people who observe suffering who ask that question. Like if you've had a family member go through suffering or someone close to you, you ask that question, often it's not the person in the midst of it because they're so busy just trying to survive to cope with whatever they have going on, to get through the moments and the hour-by-hour stuff and, and just survive in the midst of suffering. So often it's a, the observers who say, you know, God, what's going on here? And so the disciples ask, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. They, they wanted to hear Jesus answer this question, the why question. Answer the why question, Jesus. Why is this going on? And they assumed it was on the basis of sin, the sin of this individual or the sin of his parents. Now, of course, we know they were wrong to assume that it had to be one or the other. They were right to assume that that suffering is the result of sin because we know that, that it's true that ultimately all suffering is the result of sin, but they were wrong to assume that it must have been this individual or someone close to them. It's just like, Sin is present in the world and hence suffering is present in the world. So verse three, let's check it out. See how Jesus answers this. 
I'm going to be sipping on my tea here, I think. So Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, there's actually a more important question than the one that you're asking. Where does suffering come? The more important question is this. What is this suffering going to lead to? What does God want to do in the midst of suffering? And so Jesus says to these guys, like, stop treating this person as a case to be discussed and deal with the individual. I like this about Jesus. You know, he's basically saying this in my mind. In my mind. Suffering's not something to debate. It's not an opportunity for a why discussion. It's an opportunity to get involved and to do something. Jesus basically tells the 12, stop speculating and start acting. Start doing something for the kingdom. See, suffering as an opportunity to do the work of the kingdom. And so, you know, that, that's a good lesson for you and I. Like when we see suffering, rather than asking why, ask this, what can I do about this? What is God wanting to do in this and how can I participate with God in the midst of this? And it's interesting, Jesus actually says to them, he says, while I'm in the light of the world, uh, uh, sorry, while I, uh, verse four, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. He says, the time will come. You won't have the opportunity to do something about suffering. So step in while you have the opportunity. And so the disciples asked the, the why question, and Jesus gave a pretty unique answer. He says this, God allowed this in order that his power would be displayed for that purpose. And it's true, you know, when you think about it, that God's power can be more clearly seen in a world where there is suffering in comparison to a world where there was no suffering. I mean, we all long for the peace and the prosperity and the blessing and the well-being of living in a world where there's no suffering. But there is something about a world with suffering that manifests the power of God and allows people to see that God is active and he's at work in our world. So Jesus tells them this this has been allowed so that God's power can be seen. Like literally, when you think about it, suffering opens blind eyes to see the power of God. And so, you know, for you and I, we, we can see suffering as an opportunity for a philosophical debate to ask the why question, or we can see suffering as an opportunity to bring glory to God and say, God, how can I serve you in the midst of this? And, and whatever position we take, whatever angle we take, it's going to lead to very different approaches to how we deal with suffering and, and, and problems. And so what does Jesus do? He says, well, let's do something about it. Here I am. I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And while I'm here, let's do something. And so verse 6, having said these things, <coughs> he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Wow, awesome. 
Now, when I read this, don't you think this is so weird? Like, this is such a strange thing for Jesus to do. Amongst all the strange things Jesus did, and he did some odd things at times, to me, this is like up there. Spitting, in the, spitting on the ground, making mud, wiping it on a guy. Could you imagine doing that to someone? Like, just imagine yourself doing that. Hang on a second, vlog up. <laughs> Make, <laughs> let me wipe this on your face. The guy can't see anything. All he, all he can hear is... <laughs> It's terrible, man. And I just, I just think it's amazing. Now, you, you've been like, spit's an interesting thing. You ever burnt yourself? What's the first thing you do, you know? If you can't get your finger under some cold water? When you're, especially when you're a kid, right? You're always spitting on your injuries. Maybe that's just boys. I don't know. <laughs> but um, spit's an interesting thing because it can be used to heal, but then it can also be used as this offensive thing. You know, I remember a school, I, I went to Cedar Grove Elementary, so I remember, you know, at the backstop, spitting through the backstop into someone's face. I'm like, that is, I'm like so ashamed of that one. I, I'm smiling now because I was a child, but I'm so ashamed when I think back to that, that I did that to my buddy. He, and he's my friend, trust me. And because uh, spit can be used to heal and spit can be used to hurt. On the cross, they hurled insults at Jesus. They mocked him. Said, oh, you can save others, save yourself. And they spat at him. That's what the scripture tells us. When Jesus spat, he didn't spit in anybody's face. He spit to heal. And he mixed it with the dirt of the ground, and he made mud, and he smeared it on the man's eyes, and then he says, go, go wash. Now, have you ever got dirt in your eyes? Just confess all my childhood sins to you this morning. My auntie's here. And one time we were camping at Birch Bay and <clears throat> I was hanging out with my older cousin and we were just having fun and I grabbed a wad of sand and I whipped it at her and I hit her in the face. Tracy, auntie, I don't know if you know the story. And uh, she got sand in her eye and it was like, ah, and it felt so awful. Have you ever had grit, like dirt, sand, something in your eye? One granule and you know the pain, the irritation that that can cause to an eye to have that. And then, and then here you have Jesus. He wipes mud on this guy's eyes. Now, I, I've like watched Isabel's into her mud masks. I've seen her put them on her face. But she never rubs it into her eye, you know. It's like you've got the raccoon thing going on. You don't rub the mud into your eye because that's going to cause irritation. And I can only imagine for this individual, he's blind, he's got eyes that aren't functioning. We don't know what the eyelids are doing, what's going on here. But I, I think that this probably caused an irritation for this individual. And so Jesus said, you go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And he's like, he wasn't going to argue because it was bothering him that this dirt was, was in his eyes. And this wasn't just like a short walk. This is the thing you need to know, like in... in Depending where they were with regards to the temple, this was probably like a kilometer walk for a blind man. So it's like pick up your stuff, grab your walking stick, tap it down the road, navigating, not tripping over obstacles and down the cobblestones, and navigate your way way down the hill to the pools of Siloam. It's the same the same pool where they had drawn water from when Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and drinks of this water, same pool. So Jesus sends him 
down to this pool and, and it was a test of his faith. I mean, was it really worthwhile to pick up his stick and to navigate his way down to the pool? I mean, if he didn't, if he didn't believe Jesus, then it wasn't worth the effort. He had to stretch his faith and he had to make a decision. I'm going to obey the words of Jesus and do what Jesus says. And so he went and he washed and miracle of miracles, the guy comes back seeing for the first time the city, the people, the merchants and the fruit and the vegetables and the sky and, and he saw it all. Came back seen. What's amazing about this is you know who he'd never seen? He'd never seen the one who had anointed his eyes. He never saw Jesus. All, all he heard was Jesus' word. He never saw him with his eyes. And even though he's come back seeing, he could not recognize with his eyes the one who had healed him. He could only recognize him by his voice. He knew Jesus' voice, but he, he knew Jesus by voice, but not by sight. So verse 8 tells us, it's interesting, lots of different people come into this story and it tells us their reaction. Verse 8, the neighbors. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. It's me, I'm the man. Verse 10. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? So, you know, it's interesting. The disciples saw this man the first time when he was sitting there begging and they asked Jesus the why question. Why is this man blind? Why is he suffering? The neighbors see this man now that he's healed and they ask the how question. How will, you see now, how were your eyes open? Both groups have missed the most important question. Who performed the miracle? Verse 11. He answered, <clears throat> the man called Jesus, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Straight up, this is what happened. So the man did leave out some of the details though. He, he said, he, he, he left out the fact that Jesus made mud. He didn't, he didn't share that. He didn't share the fact that Jesus spit on the ground and made mud and smeared it on his face. Why? Well, he's blind. He didn't see what Jesus had done. All he felt was the touch of Jesus and the anointing of his hand. Go wash. All, all, all he could do was hear. He didn't, he didn't have eyesight. And so he didn't see exactly how the miracle took place. And you know, it's interesting to stop, think about that in our lives. It's the same way. You ever felt the Lord's touch? You ever had God do something in your life? And you're like, well, I, I don't know exactly how that happened. I don't know how to explain it. All I know is I felt his touch and I'm changed. And I don't know what he did beforehand or afterhand. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. All I know is I was walking in darkness. I was walking in darkness from birth like a blind man. And I receive sight. So he leaves out the details because he doesn't know the details. Verse 12, they said to him, 
Where is he, Jesus? Where is he? He said, I do not know. When the neighbors heard what had happened, they, they, they did this. They, they, switched. they switched from what had been done to who had done it. But the blind man, like I said before, hadn't seen Jesus. If he had, you know, I, I think this is a cool miracle because there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, we're six months out from Jesus being crucified and he's got a, he's got a lot of enemies here. And if, if the man had been able to identify Jesus by saying, that's him, that's the guy, you know, pointing across the crowd, it just would have been, I think, chaos. A massive crowd would have followed Jesus. And, and so what Jesus does here, it's kind of beautiful. He insulates himself from sensationalism. You know that's what Jesus does? Sensationalism? Uh, we, we all have seen those churches on TV or heard those preachers. Like, that's not Jesus' gig, actually. Sensationalism is not the way the Lord works. He insulates himself from that stuff. And so I, I would tell you, man, when you see sensationalism, just always take a step back and evaluate what you're seeing because it's not the MO of Jesus. Verse 13 says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So problem. Here's the man who's been born blind, yet the Pharisees say, wait, whoa, 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 born blind and healed? Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can't work on the Sabbath. That violates statute 524.7-B that forbids the making of ointment. You know? So the investigation begins. Verse 15. So the Pharisees asked again how he had had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes. And I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. You know, when you, when you walk with Jesus as a Christian, there's, there's, there's a couple of dangers that we face as followers of Jesus. The first is this, that you could, have, you could have no standards whatsoever. It's like you say, well, as long as I believe in Jesus, nothing else matters. It's like I have that squared away, and then you can just live however you want, whatever the standards are, whatever the morals are, however you feel like you should live. I believe in Jesus, everything's okay. The, the other extreme is this, is, is those who live with so many rules who say you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you shouldn't do that, and everything to them becomes this long list of legalisms. The Pharisees landed in this second, this second camp. They had this long list of rules, which included not manufacturing ointment on the Sabbath. And Jesus had done that. And basically, like they get to this point, they're like, well, the guy's been blind his whole life. What's one more day? It's sick. What's one more day? Couldn't Jesus have waited one more day? Like, what's the big deal? He's been blind all these years. The Pharisees had these closed religious minds, and they were robbed, by, they were robbed of their joy because of all of the legalisms they had to jump over and all the hoops they made others jump through. No joy in their faith. 
So in their minds, they've, they've got a contradiction. On one hand, you've got a miracle worker. And then on the other hand, he's a Sabbath breaker. A miracle worker and a Sabbath breaker. And those two things do not go together as far as the Pharisees were concerned. But who was the actual blind ones in this story? You know, that's the, that's the crazy picture here. They were the blind ones. They had lost their sight. They had lost sight of the reality that this was a man who had been born blind and now he could see. That was something to rejoice in. That was a reason to say hallelujah, praise the Lord. But in their minds, so many rules had been broken, they could not rejoice or praise God that this guy was now seen. So they said this, well, this Jesus, he can't be a good man. He's a sinner. Otherwise, he wouldn't break the Sabbath. Others said this, well, how can a bad man make a blind man see? He, he, he can't be that bad. He must, he must not be a sinner. So they turned, as there was a division among them, they turned the conversation and they put it on the blind man. They said to him, what do you say? <clears throat> and he said this, he said he's a prophet. In other words, I think that he's a man of God. But the Pharisees would not accept this. Just like so many skeptics today, you know, so many people that are skeptical about Jesus and about the Christian faith, they look for any possibility, any means, any explanation whatsoever to explain away Jesus and the things that Jesus does. And so these guys come to this conclusion, as we're about to read here, their conclusion was this, this guy's got to be making it up. Yeah, right, you were blind. Either he wasn't blind from birth, or they have another man, so they do this. We've got to confirm what's going on here. They called his parents to make sure this wasn't a case of mistaken identity. So in come the parents. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight. Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And he asked them, and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So at the, the request of the Pharisees, in come the parents, called into the principal's office. Ever get called into the principal's office for your children? Not me, never. Um, and they're going to be questioned regarding their son. You know, it's interesting. It's just like, here's this man, he's changed by Jesus. You know, it's embarrassing for parents to have a child who's been transformed by Jesus if they don't know him. Like, if your parents don't know Jesus and Jesus has changed you, that's embarrassing for them. They don't know how to deal with it. There, there are lots of embarrassed parents in the world. And they're embarrassed because their kid met Jesus and his or her life was transformed by him. Yeah, that's my son. 
but I don't know what happened to him. He goes to church now. He says he loves Jesus. Yeah, that's my daughter, but I don't know what happened to her. I didn't raise her like that. She got religious. She says she met Jesus and Jesus changed her life. And parents get embarrassed when Jesus transforms the life of their, their child when they don't know him. And that was these parents. I mean, you got to hear it. Yes, this man's our son. That's our son. But what happened to him? We don't know. <laughs> yes, he was born blind, but we don't, we, don't, we don't know what happened. And to be honest, we don't want to get involved. Whatever he's got, whatever you're trying to figure out, we don't want anything to do with it. Don't ask us any more questions. <laughs> Man, you, you've seen parents like that. Maybe you have parents like that. Don't ask us any more questions. They were concerned, you know, about their own safety, their own appearances, their own, the way people were perceiving them. They knew that the Pharisees had said, if anyone confesses Jesus is the Christ, they're going to get tossed from the synagogue. So they said, they said this, whatever's going on with our kid, we're not responsible. He's following that Jesus guy. Whatever's going on, we're not responsible. Ask him, he's of age. And that was fear. I mean, they were, they, fear says, I'm not getting involved. Don't ask me any more questions. I'll give you the facts, but I don't know anything else. And so verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I love that. I love that. These guys, here's these Pharisees, they're ticked. They've denied the miracle. Uh, and, and for them, their response is going to just escalate. They're going to move from, you know, denial to insulting this man and, um, even abuse and, and violence towards Jesus in the future, as we're going to see. And first, they try to teach this man. First, they say, let us give you a lesson. We know this man is a sinner. So you should give glory to God that this has happened. In, in other words, uh, they tell a lie, and they demand and say to this man, now you swear to the truth. We're going to lie. You swear to the truth. Swear by God to tell us the truth because we know this man is a sinner. And this guy's awesome. He's outgunned. He's outmanned. He's, he's got the Pharisees, all the religious leaders in front of him. And the blind man says, you know, you, you, you might be able to trip me up intellectually. I, I can't argue with you on a philosophical or a theological, uh, you know, discussion. You can spiritually outmaneuver me in an argument, but look at there's one thing I know. It's one thing I know. I was blind and now I see. Isn't that awesome? And you know, that's the truth for you too, your testimony. You, you could get those who can outmaneuver you, can out-argue you, who can out get you in a conversation about philosophy. But you know what they can't take from you? The one thing you know. You were blind, and now you see. Amazing grace. That's what John Newton called it, right? He was, I, I once was blind, and now I see. And that's the testimony you and I have. And I love that he says, 
look at one thing. There's one thing I know. I, I don't know. I don't know 10 million things. I don't know all sorts of arguments about this or that. This is the one thing I know. I was blind. Now I see. I've been transformed by Jesus. Verse 26. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already. And you won't listen. You would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? I just love it. You got to love the humor of the scripture, right? This guy's awesome. Do you want to become disciples? I can tell you again. Do you want to become disciples of Jesus? You can just do that to people too. You know that, right? I told you I was blind. Now I see. Do you want to become a disciple of Jesus? Because I can tell you how. And this, this is a man. He's lost fear of them. Do you see that? He has lost all fear of people. How awesome to be in that place. He is prepared to say what Jesus did for him. And he's not afraid of anybody. One thing I know. I was this. And now I am this. I've been transformed by Jesus. Verse 28. They reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, would you teach us? And they cast him out. Booted out of the synagogue. You know, Isaiah prophesied three times that the Messiah would open the eyes of the blind. Now here's a blind man. He's been saved for like 10 minutes. And he's pretty mature in his faith already. Because he says this, the one who opened my eyes is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. How else do you explain what has happened to me? He says, there's nobody, this has never happened in the history of the world who's ever heard of a man being born blind, having his eyes open. You're supposed to be the, the authorities. And you can't recognize this simple fact. He's God. He healed me. And they cast him out of the synagogue. I, I, like when I read that, I just wonder how rough they got with him. I wonder if they physically laid hands and like tossed him. Verse 35. I thought I was hearing things about 10 minutes ago. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So here's the blind man. Uh, he went out and he would not have recognized Jesus. That's the thing. We know this. He hasn't seen Jesus. He's never seen Jesus. But Jesus knew him. He, he couldn't pick Jesus out from a crowd or known where he was on a street. But Jesus knew him. And this blind man here, I, I just can't imagine the life of rejection he's probably gone through already with, with this disability and living as a beggar. 
And now, once again, he's facing rejection of men. He's thrown out of the synagogue. One, I, I thought, man, I wonder if his parents ever spoke to him again. Strained relationship. But Jesus was waiting for him. And, the, and you know, that's just how Jesus is. No matter how many friendships following Jesus cost you, no matter what relationships you lose because of Jesus, there is a compensation that's worth it all. And that's Jesus himself. Because he said this, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You can't be snatched out of my hand. And Jesus found him. And, and the truth is, is when you have Jesus, you can manage without anybody else. Did you know that? You can. You can manage without anybody else. And so Jesus found him and he said something, he said something to him he, along these lines. He said, basically, you know, you can see, you can see now. Physically, you can see. But I'm concerned about something more important than your physical sight. I'm concerned about something more important than your physical health. You can see with your eyes, but I'm concerned about your spiritual health. I'm concerned about what your heart believes. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus asked him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said this, I don't know him. How can I believe? Verse 37. Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. That's like, that's, that's amazing that he worshiped. Like I, I, I wonder what that looked like. Did he get down on his knees and sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? Did he get down on his knees and Say hallelujah. What, what, did, what, did he, what did he do? And, and you know, here's this man. This man's a great example to us because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He never saw Jesus, but he heard his voice. He believed. And then when he had eyesight, he could clearly recognize Jesus and it grounded his belief even deeper and it led to worship. Not sight first, hearing first. He heard the word of God. And, and, and he recognized that familiar voice. And he said, I believe. And Jesus, he believed in Jesus. And he said, now that I know I believe in you. Now that I know I believe in you. And you know, that, that is true health right there. You want to know true health? True health happens spiritually first. Through relationship with Jesus Christ. And true spiritual health leads to the worship of Jesus. That's what we were made for. That's the whole purpose of our existence. This body, this heart, this mind, your body, your heart, your mind was made for the worship of King Jesus. And it's never more healthy than when it's doing that. And then Jesus said in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. So Jesus says, I, I came so that everyone who is blind can see. That covers every person on earth. Every single person because everyone is born 
spiritually blind. Everyone spiritually is in the condition of this man, blind beggars, until Jesus opens their eyes. You were, you were born blind, spiritually blind. And, and you, know, you know this, that you, you walked through this world, God's world, without seeing God, and Jesus came and he brought light to you, and he opened your eyes if you have a faith relationship with Jesus. You know, once you thought this, before Jesus, maybe you thought, why would you waste a beautiful summer Sunday morning going to church when you could be at the beach or up the mountain? Or maybe you read the Bible and you said, I don't even know why people read that thing. I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't get anything out of it. It's like a weird book. Or one time you believed Christians were hypocrites. At one time you were like totally living in fear of the future. I don't know what the future will bring. I was blind, but now I see. And then Jesus opened your eyes, and it changed. It transformed how you, you look at this world and everything around you. You go, wow, church has value to be with the people of God. Man, the word of God is like food for my soul. I, I got to be in the word. Man, God has a plan for the universe and for people and he's working out his story of salvation and I'm, I'm a participant in it and the nations serve him and are fulfilling his purposes. Man, I thought Christians were hypocrites. They're just people. They're just people who need a savior like me. But there's another side to Jesus coming into the world because Jesus also said this, I, I came to open eyes that are blind, but I also came into the world to judge, he tells him. For judgment, I came into this world. That means this. Jesus said, I came to separate people one from another. The blind would see, but those who see would become blind. You know, light has like this double effect. It's kind of interesting. Like for years, I worked at the log sort, you know, and I was always working with welders. If you've ever been around arc welding, you know, man, it's like, you get that flash in your eyes and it like hurts. Like the odd time I got a bad one and it was like, oh man, I need to go home and go to bed and sleep with my eyes closed so that the effect of the light wears off because it's painful. And like if you stare at that, if, you, if we went outside today and we all stared at the sun, what would it do to us? Boy, it, it'll blind you. It'll burn out your eyes. And light has this, this double effect. It, it enables some to see and it blinds others. Like imagine driving down Highway 101 to Seashell and it's dark, it's pitch black, there's no street lights on and you've got your headlights on and the light enables you to see. But then you come around the corner and coming at you is another vehicle and he's got those stupid blue headlights. If you have those in your car, you should go home and take those out. <laughs> he got those headlights. Yeah, I see that hand. <laughs> Repent, you sinner. Um, they come around the corner and it's like, whoa, right? And if there wasn't a line for you to go, where am I going? And you find the line on the outside of the road, you go, wow, I drive off the road right now. That light would blind me. And Jesus is like that. Look it. If you're traveling with Jesus, you're going the direction of Jesus, 
then his light enables you to see. But if you're traveling the opposite direction of Jesus, it's like a car coming at you in the dark. It blinds you. And you can't see where you're going. The light blinds you because you're traveling in the opposite direction. And so if you're traveling with Jesus, you will see you're in the light. He is the light of the world. You know that. But if you're traveling against Jesus, you will be blinded and you will not see in this world. The Pharisees were nearby when Jesus said this. Check it out, verse 40. Some of them, I don't know, I don't know if these were the ones that were still straddling the fence. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. And said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is really interesting what happens here. Because it's like, they ask, wait a minute Jesus, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus says, actually no. That's not exactly what I'm saying because if you couldn't see, you'd have no guilt. If you were just fully going in the opposite direction of me, you would have no guilt, but you make this claim. You claim to be teachers of the word of God. You claim to know God. You teach other people and you claim that you can see. You're, you're not in the category of those who can't see. You're in the category of those who refuse to see. You're in the category of those who won't see. You're in the category of those who choose blindness with regards to me. And you know, that's like tragic. Like when you think about these guys, it's more tragic, more tragic than those who can't see are those who refuse to see. Close their heart. They, they close their spiritual mind. And so Jesus says, You're, you are guilty of blindness because you closed your eyes. You, you've made this choice. I'm going to walk through life like this. When I'm present, to open your eyes. And so there's those who can't see and there's those who won't see. You know, Jesus is still the light of the world. He still opens the eyes of, of the blind. And I, I think of this story, I think, man, I want to always come to the word of God and say, Lord, I'm blind. Unless you open my eyes, I'm blind. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't want to be one who has that kind of heart. Who says, oh yeah, I see, but then just has a heart of refusal towards the things of God. Let's, let's not let that be us, church. Jesus is the light of the world. He opens the eyes of the blind. Let's, let's ask him to touch our hearts this morning. Would you pray with me? Let's stand. Worship team, you guys can come.